Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. This is episode number 96 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This is a cool topic that you thought of for this week. I like this one. 2010. 2010, then end math. <laughs> I'm going to say 2010 this whole show, I promise you. The episode 2010 aired in the fourth season of Stargate SG-1, and it was set 10 years in the future, in the year 2010. And now it is 2010, so we're going to look at the differences between uh, that future with the Ashen storyline and the way that the Stargate universe has actually played out over the last decade. That's correct. But before we get to that, how are things going? Going well. I am about Anything new this week? 40 pages shy of Robert A. Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. I totally recommend it. Rock on. Very controversial book. I don't have the uncensored version. I have I have the version that had about several thousand words cut out of it so does it have squares uh it was, i think it was written in like the 50s or something so it's it's pretty uh chaste <laughs> but uh it's it's good it's good i i read it up there with i am legend which i also just finished so it's, it's a good piece Definitely written with the perception of its era. You know, it's got flying cars and things like that. I, I imagine it's set around mm-hmm. now. Funny how they uh, how they perceived their future, or a potential mm-hmm. future. There's life found on Mars, and it's about a it's about a young man who uh, who was the offspring of the first human mission to Mars, and that crew never came back. And uh, he was raised by Martians, so he's essentially Martian, and essentially owns the entire planet Mars in terms of our. Uh, in terms of our society. So so when he comes back he's ex- he's exceptionally rich and becomes a political pawn very quickly. So mm. good book. Cool. Yeah. What about yourself? Oh, there's not much going on these days. Dotting some Ts and crossing some I's on Gateworld. Getting ready to head into the summer to get some of this this catch up work done. Looking forward and uh, trying to predict what the future is going to be like. Mm. It's very on topic for this podcast. Mm. I think the Stargate writers uh they got a lot of good stuff right. Like somebody posted a picture, I think it was in the podcast feedback thread of Daniel's glasses. Uh, future Daniel wearing glasses, and it's those rectangular glasses that are totally in style now. Yep, little things like that. So let's get to it. All right. The main discussion. I was able to forge the greatest alliance this country, indeed, this world has ever known. These folks sound too good to be true. Willing to share their science and technology. I want to know why the Ashen doctors looked me in the eye and told me that I was okay. It's been ten years. Why now? We were completely taken in. This way they didn't have to fire a shot. It's slow, methodical, painless. God, what have we done? Now I wish we could take it all back. Maybe we can In the last couple of years, without our even knowing it, they have managed to sterilize over 90% of the world's population. It's supposed to be a third of that. You knew. The Shin insisted on it. Oh, my God. Honey, they see further ahead than we do. They knew that if we didn't limit growth, we wouldn't... Is that what you call this? Obviously, this is not what we agreed to. I can't believe this. We didn't have a choice, Sam. You sold us out. We send a message through the Stargate to ourselves 10 years ago. We stopped this from ever happening. I threw up the red flag and everybody, including you, shut me down. I'm asking you to put that behind us. You're not happy with the way things turned out? I'm sorry to hear that. Stop down the system! The Confederation of Bastards 
2010 aired in the fourth season of Stargate SG-1, as I said, was first broadcast in the U.S. on January 12th, 2001. And this was, I think, uh, in season four. We talked about season four a couple months ago in our history series. Still one of my favorite all-time years of Stargate. And 2010 stands at the top as one of the best episodes of one of Stargate's best seasons, I think. Uh, The episode was written by Brad Wright and directed by Andy Makita. Season four remains uh, my favorite season of uh, all 15 or 16 that we have. 16, isn't it? 16 that we have now. Mm -hmm. A lot of high concept episodes, a lot of uh, through arcs through that season, a lot of resolution of arcs from previous seasons. Senator Kenzie comes back. You know, you get the Mayborn-Jack dynamic happening. Just a lot of good stuff that year. And 2010 was just a favorite piece, despite the fact that I first watched it on a 320x240 screen. After just coming back from seeing uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, I was at a friend's house and I was bored and I uh, I had this uh, little bitty episode saved, so I watched it. And man, I mm. was disappointed that I watched it like that because it really was a show yeah, that warranted a big screen. Just a neat show. Not in the sense that it's effects heavy, though. This is really kind of a, a character piece. I mean, it's it's uh, it follows the characters walking around. Uh, there, there's not spaceships, there's not... You know, outer space crisis, like we have in some of the big, big episodes, especially later on in the series. Uh, but this is this is a show that's largely about the characters, right? Right, but ninety percent of it is largely new scenery, you know, and or more. You know, it's not just the visual effects; it's new environments, it's the new clothing styles, all those little subtle choices that you really want to see you get. And you know, it's it's got a it's got a fascinating new foe. A new foe that's very patient. You'll find that we are a very patient people. I love that aspect about them. Because mm-hmm. we're so used to, to encountering aliens that come at us directly. The replicators, they, they, just, they just fly at you, you know, and, and, and overrun you. The ghoul, the same way. This was a malevolent species that, was, that appeared to be anything but. And Jack had his instincts right about these guys. He said, something's fishy. Something's not right. Yeah, so he went off to live in his cabin and be a crotchety old man. Yeah, he took his ball and went home. <laughs> he voiced his concerns and no one listened to him. At the time, we were wanting the extinction of the ghoul, and we got it. Yeah, this episode reminds me so much of like a really good episode of The Outer Limits. Because it's just sort of that high-concept what-if formula. You know, what if all of our characters that we know and love are in this scenario that's just so off from the, the week-to-week adventures of SG-1 going through the gate that we know. This episode is so different in that respect. And there's this awesome familiarity with the characters being in the future. You know, they've, they've got another ten years of history between them. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the rapport that, that Daniel and, and Janet and Sam and Teal'c have. Mm-hmm. Old colleagues. SGC has basically been dissolved. The Stargate has been made public. Humanity is aware of the existence of extraterrestrial life, and we are, all in, for all intents and purposes, we are okay. You know, one of the lasting questions of the series is, what would happen on Earth uh, if the Stargate became public? And I am, I am con- confident that in the next couple of years, couple, three years, um, if they do get the green light for a movie, that that will happen in the canon of the show, and that it will be okay. I think that society will be okay. Otherwise, you know, 
yeah. then the show doesn't really become us anymore, and the show is always about us being us. But in a lot of these side verses, uh, we see that the unveiling has just been catastrophic, depending on you know what's been going on at the time. Well, if we're under imminent threat and the word gets out of, of the existence of the Stargate, then things turn out bad. But this is one of those cases where things were rather peaceful. Yeah, it was peaceful because the Ashen brought us you know not only advanced technology, but huge amounts of stability. They defeated the Gould, so our threat is gone. They Basically, the Stargate program is about protecting Earth. It's about finding allies and technology for the defense of Earth against its enemies. And now, you have who we think is an ally in mm-hmm. the Shen who can do all that for us. And so we can just sort of kick back and rethink our priorities, and they're going to protect us, and they're going to bring us technology that will make us healthier, you know? Well, let's face it. I mean, they enriched our lives. In this version of, of reality, you see that they did that. Um, the ultimate end is not a good one, but while uh, we were on good terms with them, they absolutely enriched our existence with their technology and their seemingly helpful medications and the casualness of, of life. You know, I mean, folks like Frazier do feel obsolete and even sam is just struggling to keep up she's had to learn a shen the language and this and that just to try and stay on top but you know she's she's on the inside and and she perceives the ashen differently as differently than some people like fraser or maybe hammond did you know she mm-hmm. sees them as as saviors until she finds out that they've been tampering with her loins yeah though i also suspect that because of jack she probably has something in the back of her mind but she's not quite willing to embrace them wholeheartedly, like like probably a lot of other people on Earth were, like Kinsey. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kinsey used them as political leverage. Yeah. You know, we can see that in 2001, what he was getting ready to do. That was an interesting image, seeing him as the president at the beginning of the uh, that episode, and, and perhaps a good one. I mean... Maybe not. I mean, he. We find out through Faxon that the the world's population is supposed to be reduced by around twenty two percent. Thought it was closer to thirty. Was it? He said it was supposed to be a third of that, and and yeah, Carter said around ninety percent. Around ninety percent. He said it was supposed to be a third of that. But either way, you know, the government was in collusion with the Ashen to reduce our population growth. Because we, uh, they recognized that it was unsustainable, even though they were planning on making Jupiter a star. Yeah, the Jupiter Ignition Project, that was an interesting little, little bit. It was an explicit nod to Arthur C. Clarke. Who suggested igniting Jupiter into a star? I think so, yeah. In interesting. 2010, the, the novel and the film. Oh, I did not know that. Look at you. The SGC has basically been shut down. Uh, it has obviously been made public and is actually in the J.R. Reed Space Terminal. It's now used by the public uh, to, to travel back and forth to other planets. This is an interesting idea that not just official government personnel and ambassadors like Joe Faxon, who's married to, to Samantha Carter, can use the gate. You book a ticket and you can go visit Chulak. Yeah, it seemed that the Ashen alliance with Earth not only brought us stability to Earth, but brought us stability to the to the overall galaxy. I, I always wonder, you know, where were the Ashen hiding in our galaxy that they weren't aware of the Gould? Because they seemed to have a confederation of planets. They seemed to be operating within a couple of solar systems, and yet, you know, we've we've never really encountered them since. When we made them aware of the Gould, they were able to wipe them out. Yeah, did you get the impression in the episode that they had not previously encountered the Gould at all? Um, I got the impression that had they encountered the Gould, they would have mopped them up. 
Yeah. And the Gould wouldn't have always been complaining about Tok'ra. They would have been complaining about the Ashen and not being able to attack this enclave in the Milky Way galaxy. They never brought up the Ashen. In all the System Lord meetings, they were always worried about the pesky little Tok'ra who lived in caves. Yeah, although there were other advanced races like the Tolan that the Gould ultimately just could not touch. Yeah. But yeah, what we seem to, to get is that, okay, the galaxy's a big place and, and the Ashen live somewhere uh, and they have have got space travel down via starship, uh, obviously with faster-than-light travel, so that they have created a confederation of planets, uh, inhabited planets, around their homeworld uh, in the geographic vicinity that they've, they've got together into their confederation. But they don't have gate travel, which is something that plays itself out in the sequel to this episode, 2001, in Season 5. In exchange for their advanced technology, they're interested in obtaining that from us. So, Gate is public, Kinsey is president, Gould have been defeated, life seems happy on Earth. Uh, the question that we asked listeners this week is, uh, do you think that we were better off then, aside from the fact that the Ashen were reducing our birth rate by 90% and trying to take over our planet and turn us into one gigantic farm? <laughs> aside from aside that. Aside from the whole <laughs> evasion and the end of the human race thing, were we better off in the year 2010 then than we are now? Or are we better off now? So... This decade has played out very differently since the fourth season of Stargate SG-1. We have spaceships. Um, the fight with the Gould went on, but we did eventually destroy them, or rather the replicators destroyed them. Um, lots of other things that are just different in the fabric of, of the Stargate universe. Obviously, Kinsey has a very different path. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those items. Janet Frazier is still alive. That's, that's the big one to me in 2010 janet frazier is is still alive and well as she is in in other universes that we've seen right in ripple effect but in ours she is gone hammond was not murdered but hammond is still dead and in the in the show hammond was murdered uh, perhaps probably probably killed yeah the speculation is that he was he was killed because he wasn't quite on board with the ashen or he had um, found out perhaps about the re- reduction in population I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's the going thing. Or he found out something else that was equally bad, or or perhaps not as bad, but also bad that he wanted to report to Fraser. And uh, it, I think it would seem that that would be the specific the specific thing that he found out since he was consulting her. We all know that we we lost Don in two thousand eight. It was hard on a lot of us. Uh, they've immortalized him with the USS George Hammond, and uh, but he is gone now as well as uh, in in this episode so creepy you know when when we finally arrive at 2010 you know in the year 2010 from the episode 2010 there are just a couple of creepy things about it you know they make it interesting to go back and have a look all right so we have hammond and we have fraser joe faxon would be another little one um he comes back in in 2001 in season five and Mm -hmm. ends up uh i think it's safe to say that he's cat food you think he's cat food yeah i think he's done He's stranded on board the Ashen ship, basically. Who knows what things they'll do to him or with him. I suspect that he was killed in the black hole that they opened up. I, sus- I suspect that's what would have happened. Um, mm. Doesn't one of the Stargate fan novels explain what happened to the Ashen? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. You know, we're, we're, we're beautifully uninformed this week, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, Somewhere out there, there's a novel reader who can fill us in on the fate of Joe Faxon. Hi, this is Sean from Canton, Ohio, and I have a couple things I wanted to talk about. First, your listener question regarding 2010. I think the universe as it is now, we have pretty much equivalent technology, maybe not quite, but almost equivalent technology to what the Ashen had 
in that episode. But the biggest difference, I think, is we're not out. The, the general public does not know about the Stargate program and has not been able to take advantage of all the technologies we've gained from all the adventures and things, people we've met, everything. Hi, this is Joe from Lancaster, New York. I definitely think we're better without the Ashen. Uh, they did give us a lot of technology relatively easily, but I think it's better for us to go out and get it ourselves. Uh, we obtained technology from the Asgard and from the Ghouls, and we implemented them in our battleships, and uh, we used them to defend ourselves instead of being reliant on somebody else to help us. I think that's a way better thing to have than have uh, an alien race control everything but be protected. Uh, also, the Atlantis and uh, Destiny expeditions would have never happened, and I do believe all in all that we're going to benefit from those, rather if they never would have happened. Uh, Senator McKenzie would have been president, which isn't a good thing at all, uh, and it would have stopped him from doing one of his most redeemable things, I thought, which was in full alert when he stopped the SGC from a potential attack that could threaten the nation. I do think the Ashen did bring a lot to the table, uh, but I don't think that the technology was worth the high price. We have similar technology, about equivalent level in terms of, by the end of Stargate SG-1, we have a lot of what the Asgard had. We have the Asgard's transporters, and we have their, their shields and weapons that we've farmed out into our, into our fleet. Um, but we also have their computer core and the ability to create you know, lots of different things, uh, like cellos. Um, <laughs> and vials but, of tritonin. Yeah, the observation that I have is that there's a difference between being given that technology, which is what the Ashen did. They basically just handed us what, what we need. Not in the sense of they gave it and they left, but they're, you know, s still in control of their, their stuff. They're here, living on Earth. So being given advanced technology versus going out and getting it ourselves, which is what Sean talked about, you know, sort of the great program, uh, the great hope of, of SG-1 is to go out and find this stuff uh, that the ancients have left littered around the galaxy. Uh, or something else that it made me think of was the idea of developing technology ourselves. Because compared to a, a race like the Tolan, we're still, you know, kind of little kids playing with toys that are beyond us. Mm. We've, uh, similar to the Gould, finding ancient technology that was left behind and putting it to use. Earth and the Stargate program has sort of done the same thing. Earth didn't develop this level of technology. We just found it and put it to use. Well, Prometheus was a fine example of of working with with Gould technology and working with a little bit of Asgard technology and discovering better uses for Trinium uh, and having access to Naquita mines like the mine in Enemy Mine uh, to to put these things put these things to use uh, over time and reverse engineer a lot of this technology that we wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise had we had access mm -hmm. to the Stargate. Uh, we get all these things without having an oppressive, almost omniscient race walk, watching over us, waiting to stamp us out as soon as we figure out their dirty little secret about us. So yeah, Joe makes this point that it seems like it's better for us to obtain the advanced technology ourselves, because that's the way that it felt, the little bit that we got to see Earth culture in 2010. It felt like we were very much reliant on the Ashen. They were the saviors who would come in, uh, you know, they were living with us. Think about Sam's relationship with Molum and yeah. with, with the, the Ashen, um, you know, research with the, the Jupiter Mission Project. Uh, human beings were very much in sort of a, of a 
second class role, kind of almost a subservient role, not that they had enslaved us, but uh, you know we were the lesser species who were you know the children of the galaxy or it was with the it was with the Nox. it was uh, children do not always do as they are told yes. the very young the very young do not always do as they are told that's kind of who we are. Earth is the very young compared to the Ashen, who are just so advanced technologically uh, but it felt like you know that sort of a world earth could be could be stagnant when you have super advanced race with super advanced technology protecting your planet and defeating your enemies and healing your citizens you know what do you do what do you spend your time on what do you devote your resources to i love daniel's line in season three they didn't call it the dark ages because it was dark <laughs> no. If we didn't have the Dark Ages, who knows what kind of a level of technology we would be we would be at now? A kind of level of discovery that our society would be at. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention, and so much of what we have seen Earth accomplish over the last ten years, I I suspect is because we had to do it. Mm. And I suspect is is in a in a world like 2010 with the Ashen. Probably spending less time and money on research and development on Area 51, and obviously the Stargate program is mothballed. We're not exploring. We're not going out and you know, necessarily making new allies in the same way, especially with a president like Kinsey in charge. We don't need to. I mean, the Ashen gave us everything. We were completely yeah, taken need... in. Exactly. So you just cool your jets. You're back on your heels, and you're resting on your laurels. And that was a mistake? I think so. I think that even aside from the Ashen's evil motives, you've got to say that... The Stargate program as we've had it, a, a program that's continually active, that sends teams out, that explores the galaxy, that meets other other species, that's a good thing. We are making allies and knocking off bad guys. And we have this fleet of ships. I would guess that our, our Daedalus-class fleet would probably not exist under the Ashen. No, we'd have something... at the same level. We'd have probably have Ashen ships. Uh, flying around above, but they never really talked about that very much. I would suspect under the leadership or rulership, however you would have it, of a of a people like the Ashen, that they're probably going to hold back the goodies. They're mm. probably not going to give us the sort of you know shields and weapons like the Asgard did at the end. Uh, they're not necessarily going to help us create our own spaceships that can go out there and get into trouble. And then you've got to look at the other shows. You've got to wonder, uh, 2004 comes along. Are we going to spend the time and money and manpower on the Atlantis expedition? Mm-hmm. Would that have ever happened? Would the Icarus Project and Reaching Destiny have ever happened? Atlantis was discovered because of Anubis's threat. Uh, Atlantis was discovered. Yeah. We found it in, in the, the address, the 8 Chevron address, in the outpost in Antarctica, didn't we? Yeah, and the only reason that we were seeking out the Library of the Ancients was because we were trying to find the lost city, and Anubis was on his way, and we needed advanced weapons and technology to wipe him out, uh, and that prompted the discovery of Atlantis. Yeah, I suspect that there is no discovery of Atlantis or of the outpost in Antarctica in the alternate timeline. And you wouldn't discover Destiny because Destiny's address is only in the Atlantis database. So yeah, the question being. If the Ashen are powerful enough to stop the Gould uh, in Season 4, which you're talking about Apophis and Heruer and Cronus uh, and, and those cronies, would the Ashen have been able to stand up to Anubis as well? Because Anubis came along with this half-ascended body mm. and all this ancient technology and the knowledge of how to use it. 
So I don't get the impression that the Ashen were nearly as advanced as the ancients were. I wonder if Anubis maybe could have could have handled them like like he handled the Tolan in between two fires. I think Anubis needed the cooperation of the system lord to take on a large group. I mean the Tolan they were just one planet. Yeah, that's true. And as far as we know, he only threatened them with one mothership. But once he got the Asgard after him, he tucked his tail in between his legs and ran. He needed the collective power of the system lords to really build up his army. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point. So it's yeah, necessity is the mother of invention, and uh, this is this is sort of what Stargate has always been about, or, or SG One especially, is about exploration and the fact that we need to be out there. Uh, that theme has come up so many times. It's uh, you know the big Kinsey argument at the end of season one, mm-hmm. carried through several there. times. You know, with yeah. episodes like uh, Disclosure and Inauguration. Little bureaucrats are trying to, to push us over, and that's the argument that happens every single time at the at the end yeah. of the show. And ties the bind, even, in Season 9. This, the present situation may not necessarily be ideal, but it's the best we've got. Yeah, and so thinking about the alternate timeline like that and what has changed over the course of the last 10 years... It really feels like the story that we were told, the world that we saw in 2010, was sort of the, the anti-Stargate. It was like the anti-SGC. All of our values about exploration and discovery and, and allies, um, all of that is... Cast aside. Is cast aside. Exactly. It's, it's sort of what would Earth be like and what would the SGC be like if, if we didn't hold on to those core values. It's a neat glimpse into the future which is now our present, which didn't happen. Yeah. And thank goodness Kinsey became a ghouled and then... Disappeared via Al-Kesh. Disappeared. Didn't really Wherever he went. He's running around somewhere. I don't know what happened to him. Instead of becoming president. Yeah, he's <laughs> out there. You're listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Well, thanks to everybody once again this week for your voicemail. We have a little bit more listener mail this week. Let's listen to that. Hi, this is Joseph from Portland, Oregon, and just calling on the uh, listener feedback request from the last show. I was kind of trying to give my history about the Stargate universe and kind of where I view it. And to answer that question, you know, I'm a longtime listener of the podcast, and at the same time, I've been watching Stargate from the very beginning when it was on Showtime. And I think David had kind of a, a comment a while ago where... Uh, uh, sometimes the the shows were a little inappropriate too. I just remember watching the very first pilot episode with my whole family, and uh, being a kid, it was <laughs> some of the scenes in there were a little were a little more than a kid should watch. But watching the entire um, seasons, it's kind of interesting to answer the question you put on the last uh, podcast because you know everything. All seasons are so different, but they build on each other. So being a longtime watcher of the entire show and watching Stargate from the beginning, and then watching Stargate Atlantis, and then watching Stargate Universe. I have to say that probably Stargate Universe is, is for me, um, the the worst adaption of Stargate that I've seen yet. And it's probably just because watching the very beginning of Stargate, I've had that baggage on top of Stargate Atlantis, which I like Stargate Atlantis. I just thought sometimes the writers um, destroyed the show. But I, I watched it and, and loved it. And then watching Stargate Universe, it really seems that um, the actors are doing a good job. It's just the writers... And some of the, the stories I just don't quite understand or grasp or, or think it would really happen in real life. So I, I still am going to watch it because I love Stargate. So I'll, even if it's the worst episode, I'll still watch it because I'm that involved in that into Stargate. But 
it looks like it's the writers to me that are making it hard to watch. We are coming up on the final episodes of the GateWorld podcast for the summer. We're going to do 97, 98, 99, and we'll have our big 100th episode celebration in, uh, I think it's going to be early August. And then we're going to take a break for a couple of months and come back in September and get ready to talk about the second season of Stargate Universe. So what's our topic for next week? Stargate versus Lost. I know it's comparing apples and oranges, and a lot of people are going to be upset that we're even trying. But Apples um, and bananas. Apples and I mean, grapes. We've been big Lost fans for a really long time, and I'd like to talk about... Um, the differences between Lost and Stargate, but what makes both successful, nonetheless? Lost has certainly been brought up a lot in the context of Stargate Universe and, and comparing the storytelling, the new sort of storytelling that the writers are, are going for with SGU. Um, that's going to be interesting on July 7th, Stargate versus Lost. So if you have any thoughts on that, call the podcast hotline. Uh, don't have a specific listener question, but that's the topic. So compare, contrast how you think they're alike, how you think they're different, uh, Stargate and Lost. And we've also been wanting to talk about the finale, frankly. So be sure if you are a Lost fan, uh, if you care at all about spoilers and haven't seen the end yet, see the end of Lost. Uh, or wait on that show until you have, because David and I want to talk about the end of the show. And that's all we have for this week. Are you ready to close up? Let's close her and scrub up. If you have any comments or questions about Stargate, just call the GateWorld Podcast hotline. That number is area code 951-262-1647. Or you can email in a brief audio recording to webmaster at gateworld.net. We also appreciate feedback in the podcast feedback thread discussed with the denizens of the GateWorld forum. And don't forget Darren's life-saving show notes which are attached to this podcast each and every week as it premieres. You know, I still haven't been able to download Podcast 95. I really? Don't know. I, I don't know. I see it now in the uh, iTunes store, and I click on it, and it won't download. It's been driving me nuts. That's weird. I think I'm going to have to delete and re- re-download the entire library to make it work. I and mean, That's a good 10 gigabytes. No, you shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't, but I may have to. If anyone else has luck, please let me know. I'll blame iTunes, even though it's probably my fault. Yeah, what are you doing posting a 12-minute version of the GateWorld podcast? What happened? I, I, What's the story? I uploaded the file and clicked the wrong button in my FTP client and paused the upload. And then when I went to upload it again, it remembered the pause setting. So I had to, like, unpause it and then re-upload it. Holy chimney stacks, Batman. My FTP program does. So I thought it was completely uploaded, and it it was on pause. You naughty boy. Thousands and thousands of us will have to pay for your sins. My apologies. It won't happen again. It will happen again. (laughs) From Uh, GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. Come back next week for more of the GateWorld podcast.